Well, today we're going to continue on in our series called uh, Love Everybody and Always. And we're going to take a look today at the second most damaging emotion, okay, in regards to relationships uh, that is out there. And I want us to all be in the same boat as we talk about this emotion, okay? And so I want to start with a question, and that is this. Have you ever had a knockdown, drag-out argument with a significant other in your life? Don't raise your hands. We don't want to implicate anybody right here, okay? You, did you have one on your way? Have you ever had one on your way to church? Interesting, right? 28 years ago, 29 years ago, uh, my wife and I, as well as about a dozen others, planted a church, and we started out in Carlisle Elementary School, and my family was in Richardson, so on Sundays, we would commute up to go to Carlisle. We'd all be in one car. Have you ever had three boys in the back seat? It is not pretty. They're fighting with one another, and I would lose my cool every Sunday morning because I had PMS. You do know what that is, don't you? It's called pre-message syndrome, okay? That's what I had, and we were trying to figure this thing out. I mean, I can't be coming in to church all upset and everything, and God gave us a neat insight how to solve this problem take two cars on Sunday. So that's how we did it, okay? But that's what we're going to talk about today, okay? I want us to talk about how uh, we can express love through being patient with one another. Not just patient with circumstances, but patient with people. The Greek word for patience is makrothumos. It means to, to, to make uh, yeah, to take a long time to boil, to have a long fuse. Folks, there is nothing more important, I believe, in our culture than this topic matter because the truth is this, anger is ever increasing in our culture. Would you agree with that? I mean, it is. 300 years ago, Thomas Jefferson said this when it came to being patient and just being, just being patient. He says, if you're angry, account to... 10. If you're very angry, count to 100. 150 years later, Mark Twain came and says, you know what? If you're angry, count to four. If you're very angry, just swear. Today, in our media, it's swear immediately. And if you're really bothered, just cut their heads off, okay? That is where we have come over 300 years And today we're going to talk about how we can control our anger and thereby show patience, okay? Now you may be thinking, you know, Pastor George, this is a great subject matter, but I don't really need it. This is for other people. Well, for those of you who are thinking that way, I would remind you that anger can be expressed in a lot of different ways. You just don't have to be loud to have an anger issue. And in fact, according to the American Demographic Magazine, 23% of people express their anger loudly. 39% bottle it up. 23% just run away. And all of those are wrong ways of expressing anger. In fact, if I had to simplify how most people express anger, I would express it in two, different, or in two ways. Some of us are like skunks. When we get angry, guess what? Everyone knows it and everybody's been sprayed, right? The other way is like a turtle. 
When, when bad things go wrong, we just hide in a shell. Neither of those are way, ways, neither of those ways work. God has a better way. And so today, how do you manage anger once it begins in you so that we can express love through patience? Now, I want to take this from a different angle because of how the scriptures talk about this. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Love is not easily angered. Will you circle that phrase, easily angered? Read James 1.19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Will you circle the phrase, slow to become angry? Notice that the Bible doesn't say, don't be angry. It just says, don't become easily angered. Uh, be slow to anger. Did you know that Jesus got angry? He did. And so obviously, him being perfect, there, there must be instances where anger is appropriate. In fact, Mark 10, 14, it says this, when Jesus noticed this, he was angry. And he said to his disciples, let the children come to me. He was angry because his disciples were preventing them from being ministered to by Jesus. He got angry with his disciples because they were preventing the children from hearing and experiencing the good news. The Bible doesn't say that you and I shouldn't get angry. It just says that we need to be slow to anger. When I read a lot of anger management books, they talk about what you should do once you're angry, once the gauge has shot through the roof. My question to you and I today, to look at this in a little bit different way, is, is there something that you can do before this happens? Is there anything that you can do before the, the temperature gauge shoots through the roof? I can tell you this, that if you wait until your car is flashing red light mm, 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 to put in antifreeze because it's overheated, you will damage the engine of your car. In the very same way, sometimes we let anger get to such a level in our relationships that it damages them. And so are there things that you can do before that happens? The answer is yes. And we're going to take a look at five things that you can do so that, you, so, that, so that the anger doesn't come rapidly, but rather it comes slowly. And we're going to take it from the fifth one down to the first one. So number five is this. Break the pattern of anger. You see, it's easy to get into a pattern of anger where anger breeds more anger, which breeds more anger, which breeds more anger, and things get worse and worse and worse. Like I said, there, is, there are a lot of movies out there that portray this, okay? One of my favorites is What About Bob? Have you ever seen that movie? It's got, Bob is Bill Murray, okay, and he's the kooky one, and he goes to his psychologist, uh, Richard Dreyfus, and Richard Dreyfus cannot contain himself. He gets so upset with Bob that you see uh, Richard Dreyfus's um, anger just escalating to at the end of the movie, he is having Bob go through death therapy, where he is strapped with dynamite, real dynamite, because Dreyfus is going to blow him up. 
some of you may be on that kind of a downhill slide. I say this, instead of asking, what about Bob? Guess what we ought to be asking? We ought to be asking, what about God? Does God have anything to say why this happens? And as you look at God's word, folks, it is just filled with personal, practical, and positive stuff about this. Take a look at uh, Proverbs 29, 11. A, f- a fool gives full vent to anger. A wise person quietly holds it back. Will you circle the word fool? The Bible says it's foolish to give full vent to anger. Well, why is that, Pastor George? I mean, Doesn't that just make things better when you can just get it all out on the table? No. To give full vent to your anger only creates more anger and it makes the situation worse. Do you remember the commercials, the old Dorito commercials in the 1990s with Jay Leno? Eat all you want, we'll make more. Guess what? That's what your body does with anger. The more you yell... The more anger is produced in you. Why is that? Because within us, we're not a bucket full of anger that we can just pour out and we're done. No, we have a factory. And the more we yell, the the more anger is produced within us. Maybe you've even noticed this when you're on the phone with something about some product and you were really upset and you had to wait through, I don't know, 20 different connections before you talk to a live person and you are already upset and you're talking firmly and loud and they're talking louder and louder and they get pretty, forget it, okay? Why is that? It's because our body isn't a bucket, it's a factory. Take a look at this verse, Proverbs 14, 29. Slowness to anger makes for deep understanding. A quick-tempered person stockpiles stupidity. Will you circle that word stupidity? I love that word, don't you? Okay. The Bible says when you and I are quick-tempered, we're going to do stupid things. I, I, was, I was at a, one of those arcade game places not too long ago, and they had this game called The Worm. The, the worms were throwing different things at one another, but every now and then, a worm would pop up and say, stupid. Folks, when it comes to being quick-tempered, a lot of times we do stupid things. Now, why? Why is it stupid to be so quick-tempered? Well, for a number of reasons. One is, it, is that it really does hurt you. Secondly, it hurts other people, but more importantly, it does hurt the people that you love the most. It damages relationships. Well, how does it do that, Pastor George? Well, take a look at this verse in Proverbs 25, uh, 28. If you cannot control your anger, you're as helpless as a city without walls, open to attack. In other words, you're defenseless. When you are easily angered, all your defenses come down. You may tell yourself, you know what, I will never ever say this in this relationship with this person. I I will never allow that to even come up as a subject matter. But when you are losing the argument, your defenses come down. That's the danger of anger. All your defenses come down and you will say things that you can't even begin to imagine that you would have ever said before. Now, does that mean that I'm to pretend that I'm not angry? That I'm just to kind of stuff it? No. Holding it back doesn't mean to stuff it. Take a look at Ephesians chapter four. In your anger, do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Well, you circle the phrase, do not. That means you wait until things cool off to have a conversation. If you talk while you are hot, I can pretty much guarantee you this. You're going to say something that you wish you hadn't said. So what you do is you back off. You, you let things cool down. You do not sin. I, I can tell you this. If you, if you don't, and if you let that temperature gauge shoot through the roof, I know from experience, you will say the most articulate things. You'll go, wow, that was a great speech. But it will be one that you will regret. Circle the phrase, don't let the sun go down. That means don't let a day pass you by without resolving it. Don't let the gauge get to freezing where all of a sudden you are so mad as a hornet that you can't even talk about it. And that anger has become resentment and bitterness. The Bible says talk about it that day. Give yourself some time, no doubt, to just kind of cool off. But talk about it that day so that you don't get stuck in this extended pattern of anger. The reality is God did not make us for anger. And if you find yourself in an angry state, and it's been going on for a while, I would encourage you to get with a trusted Christian psychologist. Now, once you've broken the pattern of anger, then you can begin on God's strategy, which leads us to the fourth thing. Guard your relationships. You see, you will become an angrier person if you hang with the wrong people. Take a look at Proverbs 22, 24 and following. Don't hang out with angry people. Don't keep company with hotheads. Bad temper is contagious. Don't get infected. You see, you can be infected by others. Now, something you may not realize is this, that at the core of anger, it is an emotion that seeks to correct a wrong. When you feel angry, it, you feel you've been wronged. That is why there are good kinds of anger. There are some genuine wrongs that happen in our life and in the world that you and I should be angry about. Lately, I, I think of uh, London with all the different terrorist attacks they had. Folks, you and I should be bothered by that. We should actually be angry about the injustice and the, uh, against victims there in London. However, in an argument, we often like, in, in an argument with other people that we're close to, we often feel wrong for all kinds of things. And oftentimes in our mind, we blow those things up to be bigger than life. Now, when that happens, you can turn to one of two types of people. You can turn to those who calm you down, or you can turn to those who had gas to your fire. If you hang around the wrong people, I guarantee you this, they will build on it. And that is why the Bible says, watch out who you hang with. Bad company does corrupt good morals. So the Bible says, watch out. Well, what do these people look like? 
well, these people look like those who say things like this. You deserve better than that. I don't know about you, but that'd make me madder than a hornet. You know what? If I were you, I'd give them a piece of my mind right now. Except those people don't tell you this. Take a look at Proverbs 11. Wicked ambition ends in angry frustration. You see, if the person you're seeking counsel from thinks that life is all about you, that it's all about your needs, that it's all about what you want, then it's going to end up in angry frustration. And God says, watch out who you hang with. Now, you may be asking, what if that angry person is in my family? Well, what if that angry person is my spouse? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about that as well. It tells us what to do to make sure that anger doesn't continue to happen. Take a look at this verse, Proverbs 15.1. A gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindles the fire. That is our memory verse for the week. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a sharp tongue it kindles a fire. Now, what I want you to know about this verse is that this verse is for you personally. It's for you internally. If you're in a major discussion where the heat is beginning to rise with that significant other, okay, and, they, and it starts to get mm, a little bit out of control, you do not want to say, you know what? A gentle answer turns away wrath. That will only add flame, uh, gas to the fire. So what does the word gentle mean? Well, it doesn't mean quiet. Folks, you and I can be quietly sarcastic. We can be quietly harsh and cause anger. Can we not? You see, in my relationship with Cheryl, and I know this is going to shock you, I am the loud one. That's not funny, okay? No. <laughs> and there is one word that I use that if, that if I'm losing an argument, which is most of the time, I can push the nuclear button. You know what that word is? Sister. We're in this heated discussion, and I'll just quietly but sarcastically, okay, sister, I am not your sister, okay? I'm your wife. <laughs> I do that when I'm losing, okay? But there is nothing gentle about that. Gentle doesn't mean quiet. Gentle means humble. It means I'm thinking about you in this moment. I'm thinking about your needs in this situation. It means that in our relationship, as we are dealing with anger, I say out loud, well, I could be wrong. You see, I would encourage you to try that this week and see if it doesn't make a difference. God says in his word, very practically, break the pattern, guard your relationships. Number three is release your worries to God. Why? Because our worries often take us down a road to anger. Anger and anxiety almost go together. Take a look at Psalms 37, verse 8. Stop your anger. Turn off your wrath. Don't fret and worry. 
It only leads to harm. Worry often leads to anger because we're anxious. And because we're anxious, oftentimes angry words will come out. Do you remember the movie Toy Story? I've been watching a lot of that lately, okay, with my grandkids, right? Do you remember Woody being angry with Buzz Lightyear? Infinity and beyond. Do you remember why Woody was angry with uh, Buzz? It's because he was feeling some loss in his life. He was feeling anxious about losing his place in the toy world. When you feel anger, you got to ask yourself, Am I anxious about anything? Am I losing my place in, I don't know, in my toy world? Could it be that there's something stewing? Maybe it's at work, but it's coming into my relationships here. Folks, I guarantee you this. Asking yourself that question will benefit your life, and it will help you in your relationships. I guess what I'm saying here is, is that you and I need to be responsible for our emotions. We need to take responsibility for ourselves. We don't blame other things and we don't blame other people. We own it. You and I must take responsibility for our anger because if we don't, you know what happens? No one else will. And if we don't own it, then what will happen is that we will become a slave to our emotions. And a lot of people are. Because you hear them use the phrase, you make me so mad. Who's responsible in that statement? Why other people are. You see, the truth is, others don't make me mad. The world doesn't make me mad. Uh, Circumstances don't make me mad. Other people don't make me mad. I make myself mad. The choices I make cause anger to happen in my life. Now, once you and I have come to that place where we own it, then this is what can happen. Take a look at Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace. What he's saying there is if you and I have the ability to own the anger, the emotions that we have, we can come to the place where we can give whatever we're anxious about to God. And then we can also come to God and be grateful at the same time for the situation that we're in. You see, life is like two parallel tracks. There's always good things going on and there's always bad things going on. The question is, which one do you want to focus in on? And Paul says, if you and I will just own our emotions, if we'll own our anger that we have, we can come to God and say, God, here's what's going on. This really bothers me. In fact, it irritates. God, I'm really mad about this, to be honest with you, God. Will you do something about this? And at the same time, we'll be able to see what good is going on and celebrate that as well and have a peace that will pass all understanding. Now, this next one, is going to shock you. And it's this. Get some rest. Break the pattern, guard your relationships, release your worries, and get some rest. Most often than not, when it comes to anger, 
We need a snack and a nap. There is a great story in the Bible. I love God. He is personal, practical, and positive. There is a great story in the Bible about Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Elijah is this prophet of God, and he confronts the false prophets of Baal, about 450 of them on Mount Carmel. I was there. It is a great place. You overlook and see the, the, the valley of Armageddon where the last battle is going to occur. But anyway, Elijah is there, and he is battling out one godly prophet against 400, 450 uh, false prophets. It's what I call a poor prophet margin. Come on, laugh. It's I, I celebrate Father's Day a week out, okay, and then a week past too, okay? Anyway, he defeats them, okay? He has this victory, and then Queen Jezebel says, I'm after you, you jerk. You are dead meat, and he starts running. He runs from one side of the country all the way over to the other side of the country, and as he's running, he's talking to God. He's, he's talking to God about his anger. He's talking to God about his depression. He, he talks, t- talks to God as you read this story like, you know what, I had this victory and I couldn't even celebrate God for one day and then all of this stuff had to happen. You ever been there on that? Seems like, wow, I got this race and then all of a sudden all hell breaks loose or something, okay? And that's where Elijah is at. He is, he is, he is going from one side of the country to the other side of the country giving himself a poor me speech. If you hear yourself give a poor me speech, you need a snack and you need a nap. I want you to read this. And I want you to think, I know when you come to church, a lot of times, deep theology. I want you to listen to this verse. 1 Kings 19.5. Then he, that is Elijah, then he lay down under a tree and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Think about this. God sent an angel from heaven all the way to earth to tell Elijah this. Take a nap and have a snack. Folks, that's deep theology. Go ahead, you can clap. You clap for David, you might, you know, clap, okay. (laughs) You see, this one is the most important thing that you can do, I think, in our culture, really, to break the pattern of anger. One of the reasons that we have such an angry culture is because we're busy, 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 busy all of the time. And as a result, the anxiety builds up within us. And God comes in his deep theology and he says simply this, you need a nap and you need a a snack. A while back ago, Cheryl and I had a conversation. We've been married 42 years now and so, I don't know, a year or so ago, we were just talking about On my suggestion, I said, hey, let's just review some of the arguments that we've had in the past. Can I just say something? Don't ever do that. That was stupid. It was not a fun time, okay, because we discovered there were some things that went have gone unresolved that we had to resolve. It was not a fun, fun time that evening, okay? But one thing that we did learn was simply this, that most of our arguments were over little things that really were stupid 
but happened because we were tired and worn out. And one of those was around hanging pictures. We had just moved, and we want to get some pictures up on the wall so it looks like home, and I like to hang them up high because that's where I'm at. Cheryl wanted to hang them down low because that's where she's at. I mean, we had a knockdown, drag-out fight just where to place pictures in our home on the wall. We honestly had to call in an interior design person to help us out, okay? One of the things that I've learned was that if you think your relationship is really deep and intimate where you can decorate a house together (laughs) after you've just moved, I'd encourage you to think again. Don't do that, okay? The other time, the other thing that we found out when we were tired and it was something really stupid was where to put clothes. Cheryl believes God built closets to put clothes in. I believe God built kitchen chairs to put clothes on, okay? And so we are tired and worn out, and we are arguing about where the clothes should go. I would just want you to know, this morning I went out to the chair, and I got dressed, okay? (laughs) But when you and I are tired and worn out, what needs to happen in your relationships is this. You know what? We just need to take a break. We just need to take a break because you know what? I think we're just both tired. The fact is, sometimes we're just grumpy, aren't we? Because we're tired, and we need to have the wisdom enough to say, God, will you change my lifestyle? God, I'm tired this morning. I don't know why I woke up tired. I'm tired, God. Give me wisdom to keep my mouth shut today and wisdom to go to bed early tonight. A quick temper is just a warning light that I need some rest. Now, the most important thing that you can do so as not to be so quick to anger is this. Change your expectations. You see, our anger always starts in our thoughts, right? Take a look at Proverbs 14, 21. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. The way you think will run your life. Now, we all have expectations. All of us do. We all have expectations of the way we want our relationships to be and how we want things to happen. And when those things don't happen, and when reality and the expectation that we have of this reality is further apart, the angrier we become. Let me give you an example, because Christmas was not that long ago. Some of you bought presents that said, easy assembly required. And it didn't happen, and you got mad. If it would have read 20 hours of blood, sweat, and tears, you'd have been okay with that, right? But on Christmas morning, your, your knuckles are bloody. And so you lose it. Why? Because your expectations and reality are further apart. Let me give you another one. Some of you have the expectation when you go golfing that you're going to hit the ball straight down the fairway. When expectation and reality don't match, folks, I've seen some golf clubs go 300 yards down the fairway. We will do the craziest things. Let me give you another one. You're going to go on a Martha Stewart Disney World vacation with your family. You're going to be spending 10, you're going to be in a a mansion 10 minutes away from Disney World that has six bedrooms, six full baths, a huge family room, a Olympic-sized swimming pool. 
and you're thinking this is going to be the greatest vacation in the world. We're, for a whole week, we're going to be together and get along. We're going to get every picture that we can with all the major Disney characters. Snow White, the whole nine yards. What do you do when your expectation doesn't meet reality? You lower your expectations. You say, you know what? I never did like Snow White in the first place, okay? She's got this perfect hourglass figure. The hair is always in place. That's just not real. We had a good vacation, okay? I would encourage you to ask God to give you a new sense of expectation. Because the reality is nothing is perfect. Things aren't perfect and people aren't perfect. Imperfect people are going to be imperfect. But that doesn't mean that God can't show up. And it doesn't mean that God can't be real in that moment. We just need a new expectation. I like what the 13th or 14th year theologian said, Thomas Kempis, be not angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be, since you can't make yourself as you wish to be. That's lowering your expectations, isn't it? How do you do that? How do you change your thinking about circumstances, about people? Well, Paul gives us the insight in Philippians 4. Fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. Think about, good, think about things that are, that are pure and lovely. Dwell on the fine good things in others. Think about all you can praise God for and be glad about. Dwell on the good things. Find the one thing that's good and focus in on that. I love the saying that goes, some get angry because God puts thorns among roses. Others praise him for putting roses among thorns. What are you gonna choose to do? I would encourage you to look for the roses among the thorns. Now, when it comes to this issue of expectations, maybe the greatest change of expectation needs to be made in what our relationship with God is like. I want to read this verse to you. Psalms 34, verse 6. And listen to this. I am the Lord, the merciful and gracious God. I am slow to anger and rich in unfailing love and faithfulness. Do you realize that this description of God, that he is merciful and that he is gracious, is the most often used phrase in describing God's character? That he is merciful and gracious. He says that over and over and over and over again. I am merciful and I am gracious. I am slow to anger and I am abounding in love towards you. God says that over and over and over again because he wants us to change the way we think about him. And so I ask again, what kind of a relationship do you have with God as an imperfect human being? One that is filled with judgment? One that is filled with guilt? 
If you expect that, guess what? You're gonna be afraid of God. And who wouldn't be afraid of God if God is this all-powerful person and he is gonna pounce on the person who makes a mistake? But the Bible says that isn't the way God is with us. The Bible says that he is merciful, that he forgives and he blesses us, that he shows grace and favor, that that he's faithful all the time, that he's slow in anger. You see, God loves you more than you can even imagine. And that is where the beginning of change starts in your life and in my life in regards to our relationships. God loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to get you aligned with his purposes so that you can experience his grace and his mercy. He's not waiting to get you, folks. He's just waiting to love you. And so I say today, will you align yourself to who God really is? A God who's filled with mercy and with grace, who's filled with love and compassion, and who's slow to anger. You see, God doesn't want you to fear him. God wants you to love him and to trust in him. He wants you to trust him to break the patterns of anger that you have in your life. He wants you to trust him for the right kind of friends who will encourage patience in your life. He wants you to trust him with the problems that weigh you down. And folks, we got a lot of problems. There's no doubt about that. He wants you to trust him with your lifestyle where you just slow down and you learn to rest and you eat right. And then he wants you to trust him with your life because he loves you. I don't know where you're at this morning. I just know this, that if you're going to love everybody and always, you and I need a change of thought about who God is. And we need to drop him from our heads to our hearts. And when that happens, things start to work. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you today that you are a God of mercy. That you are quick to forgive and that you are quick to bless. That you are gracious, God. That you hold back what I rightly deserve and you give me what I don't deserve. That you are forbearing. That you are slow to anger. But you abound in loving kindness. God, change my perspective. Change my expectations of the relationship that you want with me that that I really want to have with you. Change my mind, God, and help me to work backwards. This morning, I don't know where you're at, but I want to give you a chance to just say yes to Jesus Christ, to drop him from your head to your heart folks we live in the south and there are just gigantic churches and it's it's almost just a passing of words that we just think about church but we don't think about a relationship that 
God came to give us through his son, Jesus Christ. Maybe today, I don't know, maybe something that the Spirit said to you, that brought to you to the forefront of your mind, that you need to do this to see change in your life so that you can truly love everybody and always. And so will you just say, if you haven't done that, will you just say, God, right now, I want to drop you from my head to my heart. I admit, I'm human. I'm imperfect. I'm filled with anxiety and tension, guilt, judgment. It makes me hard on other people. But I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. That he resurrected from the grave. That can, so as to prove that what he said, I can take to the bank. And so God, right now, come in. Change my mind. Change my heart. Change my worries. Change the patterns. God, work. And if you prayed that prayer, I believe God heard you. If you prayed it with the sincerity of your heart, God hears those kind of prayers. Would you just let me know on your communication card? Would you just write your name, maybe your email address? And on the back, just check the appropriate box. Hey, I'm committing my life to Christ. And I'll mail you some literature that'll help you understand what you just did. And so God, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you're God who really demonstrates all these qualities that we've looked at over these past five or six weeks. God, work in us and work through us for your glory and for other people's good. In your son's name we pray.